Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> Verses 11 through 16. So 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. And hear now the word of the Lord. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the glory and eternal dominion. Amen. So we're nearing the end of this first letter of of, uh, Paul to Timothy, and he's giving some concluding exhortations. And there are things that we can gain uh, for this as well. Uh, The imagery here is of fighting the good fight of the faith, warfare. And uh, Philip Ryken has a very good outline where he uses this military theme. I'm not very... Um, adept with military terminology, so I'm not pretending to invent any of this. But apparently, as soldiers go into battle, they are usually given rules of engagement. In other words, there's their direction on how they're to conduct themselves and and carry out their their actions uh, as they confront the enemy. And in, in, and so in the military concept, uh, what Paul is giving us here are the rules for engagement. Uh, for there are five of them, the way Mr. Riken and, and <clears throat> outlines this passage. And they're helpful for us to think about, um, and guide our, our thinking. Uh, what is God calling us to do? Paul's calling Timothy, uh, and, in that sense, he's calling you and me to live in a way that would honor Christ because we are in a warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the dark uh, ages in this world. So we're, we're in a spiritual warfare. And so it's, it's helpful to think about that. But the first rule of engagement is the first three phrases of Verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, <clears throat> three, flee these, th- th- these things. So there's, there's three parts of this rule of engagement, and each one has uh, something to say to us. He begins with, with, but as for you. Now you say, well, that, what does that tell us? Well, what's interesting about that phrase, 
especially as the way Paul makes use of it is, in many of these contexts where he uses it, he's contrasting the way of life they shouldn't be in, but as for you, do this. So it's it's alerting us to a change of allegiance, a change of thought. So look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, just a couple pages over, where we, we will see a couple places where he uses this term. So 2 Timothy 3, verse, <clears throat> verse 13, he writes, Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Uh, and then skip to the next chapter, Second Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so Paul here has been warning against uh, false teachers and in specifically the section before us, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, because of which people have plunged themselves into great, um, terrible trouble. So here he's also highlighting Timothy a change or alert him to this. He calls him the man of God, not frequently used either in the Old Testament or necessarily in the New, but one significant passage that it's used in, so have you go back to 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the very familiar verses on the inspiration of the Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So he's here giving Timothy a label, uh, he might say to you, but you, O child of God, and he's given you this command, this instruction, because of your relationship with the Lord. And then the third part of this instruction is flee these things. Uh, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What things? Well, the things certainly in the immediate context that he's just been talking about. Uh, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, It breeds discontent. It breeds foolish desires. Uh, There are in those false teachers, it breeds a, um, a, a, a causing dissension. It breeds uh, pursuing false doctrine. And so he's trying to set the stage for those things which, which Timothy should avoid. Stop, do it. Don't, don't do those things. So he's telling 
So his first rule of, of uh, engagement is don't do these things. <clears throat> his second rule of engagement is, uh, but there is something you need to pursue. Uh, it's great to quit doing certain things or not do certain things, but Paul always, nearly always, combines with that, well, what should you do? Uh, you read Paul's letters, and regularly you're going to hear him say something like, uh, put off the old man and put on the new. Uh, it's great to stop thinking the wrong thoughts and having the wrong attitudes. That's great. Say no to those things. <clears throat> but there's certain things you need to say yes to. There's certain things you need to pursue. It kind of reminded me one of the one of the problems with uh, certain forms of meditation, particularly Near Eastern meditation, is they want you to empty your mind. Well, okay, so far so good, but what are you going to do then? The Bible never tells you to empty your mind. It'll tell you to quit thinking certain things, but it always will follow that up and tell you. Fill your mind with the word of Christ. You've got to put that in. You don't leave your mind just blank and empty. Uh, it's the parable Jesus taught of the man who is cleansed of the demons. But he didn't replace it with anything. And so that demon that was cast out came back with a bunch of others of his friends and his state was worse at the end than it was at the beginning. You don't just sweep the bad thoughts out. That's a good place to start. But you've got to fill your mind with the word of Christ. You've got to pursue that. And so he gives him six things to pursue. Pursue righteousness. That's uh, a godly living before men. Uh, they need to see your righteous life. Pursue godliness. That's a sense of your piety, your relationship with God, that your knowledge of God and your relationship with God needs to pervade your life. So you pursue righteousness, sort of an outward um, righteousness, godliness and inward righteousness. You pursue faith. Now faith is going to, that word faith is used in a couple different ways in this letter and in this text. Um, there's the objective element of faith, the content of what we believe, and then there's also the subjective element. That is, by faith we embrace Jesus Christ. Here, <clears throat> in this list, I think it's more the subjective element. Uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, your sacrificial, sacrificial devotion to one another, steadfastness or perseverance. It's a word that really is very graphic. It's in remaining under. Uh, you could use it in a lot of different ways, remaining under the discipline of the Lord. Sometimes it's uh, difficulty, persecution, trial. You're remaining under it, but holding fast to the Lord. You're persevering in that. <clears throat> and the last pursuit is gentleness. 
And this kind of stands out in the military theme because you will not go to an army recruiting office and find a poster that says, we're looking for a few gentlemen. They want uh, courageous, brave, <clears throat> uh, aggressive men to be in battle. But uh, while you and I are engaged in a warfare, and that's significant, and it is a warfare, we don't want to uh, pursue harshness. Uh, we want courage, and we want strength, and we want trust in the Lord. But here, especially in comparison to these false teachers who were stirring up dissension, Paul wants you and I to pursue uh, gentleness with one another. So righteousness, godliness, faith, love, uh, steadfastness or perseverance and gentleness. So the third rule of engagement is the actual fight itself. It's in the beginning of verse 12. <clears throat> fight the good fight of, of the faith. <laughs> and your, the ESV translates it accurately. I'm not sure what the other ones do. Here the use of the word faith is for the content the biblical doctrine that you need to hold fast to. And so he's telling them, you need to fight the good fight of the faith. You and I need to be stalwarts in standing for the truth of doctrine. Uh, it's uh, a combination that Paul makes here of both our personal faith and the truth, the doctrinal truth, it's similar to what Jude would say, that we are to hold fast to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's a body of truth that we are taught. And Paul puts these two things together. So look back at First um, uh, Timothy here, verse 4, 16, when we looked at this a few weeks ago. Here Paul puts the two things together of our our personal faith and our commitment to doctrine together. So 1 Timothy 4.16, uh, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch yourself and your doctrine. Uh, so as you engage in the the battle, the warfare that you're engaged in as a Christian, uh, you need one of the things you need to do, fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, that would be defending the truth, but not doing it with harshness, but defending the truth firmly and surely. And um, especially Timothy as a minister, but all of us as Christians need to do that. <clears throat> Some of the things he would have needed to defend that are part of the body of truth, the infallibility, inerrancy, and sufficiency of the Scripture, the uh, deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as his humanity, two natures in one person. We need to hold fast. We need to fight the good fight of that, the reality of depravity of our human nature. It's something we've got to maintain, the holiness of God, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. 
We have to battle for that. We don't want to give up on that. It's essential to our salvation. We need to battle and do the good fight of the resurrection of the Jesus of Jesus Christ, his bodily resurrection, <clears throat> of the sovereignty of God through all of life, even in our grace, and even in grace. So we need to fight the good fight of the faith. We need to hold fast to that. The fourth rule of engagement is to uh, take hold of eternal life. Um, <clears throat> this is the last part of 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here, perhaps it's parallel to some of what he's said already, but so it goes along with steadfastness and pursuing. But you and I need to pursue, you and I need to um, take hold of eternal life. It's offered, offered to us in the gospel, but we need to grab it and determine to hold on to it. Uh, the gift of grace. Now, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells us this was his ambition. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's determined to pursue, to pick that thought up again, here, eternal life, pursue the call. He's been taken hold of by Christ, and he himself is going to take hold of that. And Paul adds the description uh, to the life which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Timothy was called to that faith. That's the effectual call of God through the gospel. Many people hear the gospel, but, but not everyone responds. What makes you different? Well, the thing that makes you different is that the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and called you by his power and by his grace to the life that there is in Christ, convicted you of your sin, made Christ lovely to you. Um, and you came to that, and you made about that calling, about that eternal life, you made the good confession. The good confession could be several different things, different suggestions of this. Could have been his confession when he uh, made his profession of faith and he confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, is his Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, it could have been 
his confession uh, at his at the time of his ordination to ministry. He would have had had to give certain vows and commitments to serve the Lord faithfully. Uh, there are those who think the good confession is simply the ongoing ministry of his life. His whole life, your whole life is part of your confession. Yeah, there's a point in time when you may make a confession, but your entire life is your confession of your allegiance to Christ. And so he charges him to continue in that good confession. And one of the encouragements as he continues on talking about that, still here under the fourth uh, rule of engagement in verse 13, he reminds him, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who is, who in his, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What one of the helps you have and I have in <clears throat> holding fast to the good confession we've made is remembering our Savior. That when he appeared before Pilate, and Pilate would ask him, are you the king of the Jews? And he would acknowledge answering essentially, yes, it is as you say. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus made a good confession in the most desperate of moments before Pontius Pilate. And that is a an encouragement for us. <clears throat> what can keep us going? What can help us hold fast and continue to make the good confession in our lives? It's our connection and hope in Christ. It's his presence in our life. Uh, the charge, the good confession, the commitment is to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, commandment in the singular, but nevertheless thinking of the, the, the charges and the obligations that God has given to us through his word to uh, keep the law of God, to follow that law in obedience. And then the last rule of uh, engagement is extending, keep fighting till the end. When can you quit? At what point can you give up? At what point can you say, you know, I've done this long enough. I think I'm, I think I, I'll just let, let it go and let someone else do it. Well, never. You can't ever give up. Now, you may get discouraged. You and I will both get discouraged along the way, and we'll have to rely on God's grace and help. But he says, I want you to continue, as verse 14 says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So when do you quit? Well, either when you go to be with the Lord or when Jesus comes back, either one. There's a lot of conflict over prophecy, and I'm not going to get into any of that, but a couple things that are brought out here about uh, the, the return of Christ is uh, the re return of Christ is a definite thing. You can be absolutely sure of it. 
Uh, you can absolutely know that it will happen without any shadow of a doubt. You keep persevering, keep fighting, and you're in the warfare until the end, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second thing out of this text that we see is, and there's a definite time when it will happen. We don't know when it is. Uh, it will display at the proper time. We don't know when that is, but God does. And God has ordained all the circumstances of this world uh, down to the very day and hour of the return of Christ. And you and I need to continue on with our charge until the end. The end of our life, the end when Jesus returns, uh, the end of the age. And then the last thing I'll draw to your attention, maybe not really a part of a rule of engagement, but he he ends uh, this section with a, 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 a hymn, probably an early Christian hymn, could be uh, at a baptismal um, ceremony, but he concludes with a wonderful description of our God, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Uh, look back at chapter 1 for a minute. It's, it's very common for Paul in the middle of a discussion to throw in a doxology. Um, in, in chapter 1, verse 17, we have this after uh, talking about the first faithful saying. He says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And you see this in the other writings of Paul. It's um, something maybe that would be great if it happens in our lives too. You know, when you're maybe reading the Bible or singing a, a hymn, uh, that can really happen when, when you're singing a hymn. Uh, but Paul's going along and he's teaching and all of a sudden he can't, hold it in any longer. He just burst out in a song. Uh, wonderful thing. Uh, and he burst out in this song celebrating the sovereignty of our God. Uh, the um, He's the only sovereign. Uh, he says, who alone has immortality. Now, Paul's not denying here the immortality of the soul. What's the point of that? The point is to, to say God has immortality in himself. Uh, he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in himself. You and I were created by God, and he gave to us an immortal soul. But our, our existence uh, depends upon him. And so we have this reminder that God uh, has life in himself. You and I have life derived from him. And his glory is so great, whom no man has ever seen or can see. Uh, even as Moses, when he asked God, I want to see you, and he said, God said, no man can see me and live, but I'll let you see the back parts of me. And he put him in the cleft of the, wa the rock and 
walked in front of him and he declared his name and his glory. Uh, God is a wonderful and glorious being. And where it brings us all to is to him be the honor and the, the eternal dominion. Amen. That conclusion. So you're involved in a warfare, whether you want to be or not. And Paul has given these instructions to help us uh, fight the good fight of the faith. So may you and I hold fast to the Lord and may his great purposes be realized in and through you. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the richness of your word and, and how it can instruct us and help us and encourage us. We pray that, Lord, as we live our lives and desire to follow you in faith and obedience and do have the challenges that come our way, we do fight in a warfare, not of flesh and blood, but against the spiritual warfare, both the indwelling sin within ourselves and the outward temptations that come our way. Help us to fight the good fight of the faith, to hold fast the truth and to persevere in the eternal life that you've given to us in Jesus Christ so that all might see you and glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.